0: Joining us today on the Dialogos Radio for the second time is Greg Pallast. Greg Pallast is the author of the New York Times bestsellers, Billionaires and Ballad Bandits, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, Armed Madhouse, and the highly acclaimed Vultures Picnic. Pallast is an investigative journalist. He writes a weekly column for Vice Magazine and also reports for the BBC and The Guardian, among others. He's best known in the United States for uncovering Katherine Harris's purge of black voters from Florida's voter rolls in the year 2000. His reports are available at gregpalace.com. Greg, welcome to our program. Recently, we've been hearing talk about how countries like Greece, which have been suffering through an unprecedented economic crisis for the past few years, are finally on a road to recovery, thanks to the austerity measures and the policies that have been implemented all this time.
1: That's bull****. That's complete bull****. I disagree with that. They haven't been on the road to recovery. Greece is dying. Greece is dying, and austerity is one of the things that killed it. What are you talking about? That's complete nonsense. Austerity has destroyed Greece. The euro has destroyed Greece. Austerity is nonsense. Read Paul Krugman, is the Nobel Prize winner in economics. I have a degree in economics from the University of Chicago. Austerity in the middle of a recession is a death sentence. You've got 26% unemployment in Greece. It is a death zone. If they don't get out of the euro, if they don't cut this crap of of going along with with the German invasion demanding austerity, it's death for Greece. Greece will not be alive. It will be a suburb of Turkey within six months unless you get rid of the euro and get off this austerity kick.
0: Greg, how does the case of Greece and what has been happening the past few years with the IMF policies that have been implemented, how, how does it differ from what the IMF has done in other countries it has gotten involved with?
1: It's the same, but it's worse, that's all. Look, I saw the IMF as an economist. I worked with uh, Joe Stiglitz, who got the Nobel Prize in Economics, but more important, he was the World Bank's uh, chief economist. And he saw the World Bank take countries apart, destroy them, brick by brick. By demanding that they privatize their industries, which, by the way, he called, he called privatization briberization because, let's face it, when we talk about privatization, we talk about a couple guys who are close to the government in Greece, who are close to the German government, and they pick up the properties for next to nothing. You sell off your water system, you keep drinking water, you're going to you're gonna have to buy that back. You don't save any money. You don't get anything for selling a water. You don't get anything for selling an electric system. You still have to use electricity. It just means that your electric bill and your water bill will be higher. And you pay it to Germans. So what's happened is in Greece is that you see the kind of brutal practices which were first tested on Argentina and Ecuador and Brazil are brought to Greece with with more severe consequences. However, the difference between Greece and Argentina is that the Greek, Greek people are gutless. Greek people are, are cowards by nature, whereas the Argentines are tough. And they told the, the IMF to go to hell, and they disconnected from the dollar. Greece is connected to the German Deutschmark, and you call it the euro, but it's really the, the Deutschmark. And uh, the Argentines are connected to the dollar. They, they disconnected from the dollar. They told the creditors to go to hell, and they are a booming economy. The difference between Argentina and Greece is that Greeks are gutless and Argentines are tough.
0: And since you mentioned uh, privatization, we've seen efforts now to privatize Greece's water utilities, Greece's electric utilities, and I'm sure you've also heard about what has been happening with the gold mining operations in northern Greece by a Canadian company, Eldorado Gold. From your experience, having covered uh, similar privatizations that have taken place in other countries, what was typically the end result of all of these instances elsewhere where they have been applied?
1: You get ripped off. I mean, first of all, Canadians can control the gold mine market, Barrick Gold, uh, Eldorado. All they're all Canadian companies. And what they do is they wait for the moment when the nation is really weak and on its back, and has to give away its gold, to give away the gold mine. Literally, it's not even metaphoric. You're talking about giving away the gold mine for nothing. Tanzania sold its gold mine for nothing under IMF pressure to Bear gold mining. They've made billions and billions and billions. When the Argentine oil company. When Argentina sold off its state oil company to the Spanish, to a Spanish company, the result was that Argentina lost all those oil revenues. Yes, sure you make. It's like if you sell your house tomorrow, you'll make. A, you seem to make a lot of money, but you still have to live in your house. Suddenly, you have to pay a lot of high rent to someone else. You still need water. You still need electricity. You privatize these things. You're still going to have to buy water and electricity, but now you'll pay a fortune. You'll be paying a fortune to German and American, Canadian companies. Same with the gold mines. If Argentina had not given up its oil company, it would have no debt at oil at all. It sold its oil company when prices were low on oil. And However, Argentina has been smart enough to basically tax the hell out of the oil company, basically renationalize. So... You really, what's needed, there's no question, is to say no to privatizations. It's what Joe Stiglitz, the Nobel Prize-winning economist who I work with a lot, Stiglitz is called briberization. You know and I know, let's not kid ourselves. No one gets a gold mine without making a payoff to the powers that be. That's just how it is. It's not even a question. No one gets a gold mine without making a payoff. That's how it happens. So, you know, they tell you, oh, they're privatizing. They're not privatizing, they're stealing your gold. If Greece kept its gold, if Greece got off the Euro and kept its gold and kept its water company, and kept its, you know, it would be like Turkey. Right now, Turkey's eating your lunch. Turkey lucked out. It didn't get a, uh, it wasn't allowed into the Euro, because the racists in Europe didn't want Muslims in Europe. So Turkey's eating your lunch. So it's a, it's a, it's a terrible shame. But if Greece gets off the Euro and says we're keeping our assets, Turkey's in trouble because they stole all of your uh, tourism, and you know, you'd get your tourism back, and that would save Greece.
0: Now, you recently had the opportunity to interview Theodoros Pangalos, who was a prominent former member of the Basok government in Greece. What was your encounter with him like, and what were his comments about those who oppose the government's austerity program in Greece?
1: Well, I, 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 met, I was in Kazakhstan, of all places. Central Asia, and I ran into Pangalos, and I couldn't, I couldn't resist the, the temptation interview while I got him. You have to understand, you know, I, if those who know, know uh, Pangalos, he's, 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 he weighs about 300 pounds. He's got this stomach that's about three feet ahead of him when he walks into a room, and he's talking about, and the only, I never mention people's weight. You know, if someone's overweight, that's, you know, that's a, that's a per, usually a personal issue, but in his case, it isn't, because you have people in Greece who are literally starving. Middle-class people, for the first time, can't feed their children. That's tragic. And here's this guy, like, he's eating so much that his stomach's two feet ahead of him, right? And he's saying that if you complain about austerity measures, you're a communist or you're an anarchist. are not a communist or an anarchist. You're just someone who's trying to feed their kids. And, and what I was very disappointed in, he said, oh, everyone knew. Everyone knew that we were playing games. Remember, he was a finance minister in the Pasok. And by the way, I don't distinguish between your parties. They're pretty much the same thing. You know, after all, Papandreou and Samaras went to... Uh, they were roommates at, at the University of Michigan. They went to school together. They're best friends. There's really no difference between your parties.
0: And really. now they're governing together.
1: They're, they're happy, right? They're hand in hand, selling the government, to, selling Greece to the Germans. And they're getting... Who knows what they're getting, but I don't know. But all I'm saying is, Pangalos, when, when I met him, you know, he said, you know, this whole business, anyone who complains about austerity is a communist, an anarchist. You know, that's, no, anyone who's is complaining is starving. And, and something has to be done. And I was very concerned because, as you know, what I call, if you go to gregpalace.com, read my material. If you, go to, if you read my book, Vulture's Picnic, To me, Greece is a crime. Back in the 80s and 90s and 1990s, Goldman Sachs and a couple of other banks, mostly Goldman Sachs, had a secret deal with the government, and this including uh, when Pangalos was finance minister, had a secret agreement to hide Greece's deficit. So it was a fraud. And uh, they charge almost a half a billion dollar fee to the Greek government to help the Greek government hide its deficits. Why would you hide your deficits? For a single reason, only to stay within the euro. So it's like, okay, we're going to lie to the markets. We're going to lie to our bondholders. We're going to lie to the public. We're going to pay Goldman Sachs a big fee. For what purpose? To stay in the eurozone, which is like saying we want to stay in the leper colony. The euro is a, is a monstrous creation, you know. And and when is you know when are people going to wake up and say oh say oh my God if we don't if we don't have 25 percent unemployment and more austerity we'll, we'll be thrown out of the eurozone. That's like saying we'll be thrown out of the leper colony. You know, it, it's crazy. So to me, Greece is a crime scene. The people of Greece are not at fault. See, Cipangalo says, oh. We all, he has a phrase, we we ate it all, right, in in Greek. We, We ate it all together. No, we didn't. He's fat. Other people are starving. We didn't eat it all together. He got fat. Other people starve. And because the rulers did very well, but the average person really, really suffered. And I think we have to start thinking about the average Greek citizen who is deeply suffering from this crisis. And the German solution is that you should suffer more. Well, you know, they they tried that in World War II, and I keep saying that the Germans want to change the name of the Euro to the Panzer. You know, they're accomplishing through a currency and through austerity requirements, they're purchasing, the Germans are buying up Greece, and they're accomplishing through economic manipulation, the Germans, what they try to do with tanks in World War II. It's the same thing. You're going to become a German colony unless you get out of their currency.
0: The interview that you had with Pangalos ended up being published in Vice magazine where you have a weekly column. And he had some very harsh words with some of which you've also said on the air. Was there any further response from him after this article was published?
1: No, I actually said, you know, aren't you a criminal? I mean, the, the, the president of Iceland who hid the fact that he knew all about the crisis in the banks, he's been charged criminally. With lying to the public, he faced he faced jail time. Now, in the end, they let him off, but they put him on trial. They arrested him for the criminal charge of lying to the public, knowing that the banks in Iceland were on the verge of collapse. It led to the destruction of the economy. Now, Pangalos and others, not just Pangalos, but you know Papandreou, Amaris, the whole crew knew that Goldman Sachs was helping them hide Greek deficit, and it's a fraud. So the people of Greece are victims of a fraud, and I felt that he was one of the perpetrators. So I said, if the, if the president of Iceland is facing criminal charges, shouldn't you face criminal charges for hiding the deficit through a, a fraud involving a Goldman Sachs? And obviously he says, well, we have laws, you know, and our laws say I'm not a criminal. Well, that may be true. I, I can't, you know, I don't know all of the laws of Greece. He might be correct that he's not criminally liable. But morally, your leadership of both parties, both, both main parties, are equally responsible for lying to the people and causing massive, massive harm to the public. And I think that they should be held accountable. I used to be a criminal investigator for the United States Justice Department. And believe me, if this happened in the United States, we'd put handcuffs on these people. Believe me, we'd put handcuffs on them.
0: We're speaking with a best-selling author and investigative journalist, Greg And Greg, recently we also saw the European Union take the unprecedented step of enforcing what they called a haircut of large bank deposits in Cyprus. And this haircut was also accompanied by rhetoric about how much of the money that was flowing through Cyprus was coming from the black market, that it was illegitimate. What impact, first of all, do you believe that this haircut will have for Cyprus, and also what precedent does this set for the rest of the EU?
1: First of all, I think it, the one thing about the so-called haircut, which is that the bondholders took the risk should pay. And I actually think that that's a good idea. The problem is it's very selective. You notice that they didn't tell the Greek bondholders to take a haircut, as you say, look to take a loss, a big loss, because these are big speculators, right? And the German government doesn't want to take a loss. In the case of Cyprus most of the debt while it was created by Russian moving illegal money laundering money through the Cyprus bank the Greek the banks of Greece bought up the debts of Cyprus because the banks of Greece were desperate they wanted high interest so they bought up Cyprus debt the result was in by buying Greek Cypriot debt is that when they say take a haircut That bangs the Greek banks. They never go after Goldman Sachs. They never go after J.P. Morgan. They never go after the Deutsche Bank. But they go after the little Greek banks that bought up Cyprus debt in desperation. So you notice that the only banks that are getting killed in this whole business are the Greek banks. It's completely crazy. I think that the idea that banks should accept some of the losses when they make bad investments is good. But the fact that they picked out Cyprus debt. They knew that that was only hitting the Greek bank. You know, it's sick. It's unfair. It's vicious, and it's a you know, it's the, the Germans are basically accomplishing the the occupation of Greece that they attempted in World War Two, and I think we're back at that thing. And and part and the and ironically, telling the Cyprus bank debt holders to take a loss is really a slam at Greece again. And, you know, unfortunately for Greece, you're in an economic competition with Turkey because the, the main source of income in both nations, foreign exchanges, is, is tourism. And so as Greece declines, Turkey is rising. And I don't have any problems with Turkey rising. I'm not part of that long, centuries-old disagreement. But, you know, Turkey is, is basically making its profits off the suffering of Greece, and this has got to come to an end.
0: Now, also on the issue of Cyprus, uh, Cyprus, of course, was accused of being this haven of money laundering. Uh, but at the same time, we see other European countries that could also be considered to have a similar offshore status. There's Luxembourg and Malta and, and others as well. Would you define this as hypocrisy on the part of the European Union?
1: Yeah. So, of course, my chief investigator is investigator uh, investigatrice, and as bad many he is, is Swiss. And we all know... That Switzerland is a massive haven of illegal funding. Luxembourg is a massive as another one. Malta is another one. I think that that the European Union has decided to go after Cyprus because basically the losers would be the Greeks and the Russians. No one's going to go after Luxembourg because you don't see the, the Russians. Basically, that's European money laundering and American money laundering. Now, of course, as Cyprus closed off, a lot of money went to Luxembourg. If things get desperate, Luxembourg may collapse soon. So look for Luxembourg to collapse shortly, unless they secretly uh, figure out a way to um, get some money into Luxembourg banks.
0: Now, in recent days and weeks, we've seen people take to the streets in uh, very large numbers in Turkey, right next door to Greece. And with some less media attention, there have also been instances where people have taken to the streets in Germany and other European countries as well. We've even seen the Occupy Wall Street movement uh, recently return to the streets in New York City. What does this return signify for you in all of these different countries?
1: People are rising up. There's some people are saying, wait a minute, you know, we're all suffering under these austerity programs. We're all getting killed by these things. You know, we're, our kids can't go to school. We're losing our businesses. We're losing, we, you know, in Greece people can't, you know, starvation in Greece, that's insane. Whoever thought of such a thing, right? And for the first time, we're seeing actual starvation in Greece. Kids going to school hungry. Now, why is that? I think that people are beginning to wise up. They may not know all the details. I'm an an investigative economist, so I get this stuff. But people understand that some rich people are getting very rich off the suffering of others. It's not equal. That is, the 1%, as they say, the Occupy Wall Street, that the 1%, is doing very well in this crisis. People like Pangalos are doing very well in this crisis. The the big banks are doing very well in this crisis. So it's not shared suffering at all. And I think people are vi- getting very very resentful that a few people are making a fortune off the suffering of others. And and so we see people protesting. They may not know all the details, but they're protesting. And in Turkey, I was just in uh, Istanbul two weeks ago. And in the very square where people are protesting the country has been seized by a bunch of businessmen who have painted themselves green not green for ecology but green for islam and they claim to be mass great islamists but basically they're, they're just a bunch of greedy grabbers and the last the very last park in istanbul there's only one in the center of the city they actually want to pave over the single park in the middle of Istanbul, so they can put up a mall. Why? Because it's the one place where people go to protest, so they, end, so they not only take away a green space, but they take away the free speech place. So Turkey is, is returning to a dictatorship, but not like the, the old dictatorships of Turkey run by the military. It's now a dictatorship of kind of Islamo-fascistic the business interest. So you got this kind of uh, billionaire business interest covered up by an Islamic flavor, and that's what's happening to Turkey. It's very tragic. But worldwide, I think people are wising up in Greece and Turkey. In New York, in London, in, you know, in South America, people have really gotten really smart and they've just taken control of the government, told the banks to go to hell. And, uh, of course, South America is doing incredibly well economically. And I would hope that Greece would disconnect from Germany on its currency. If you got to join a currency, my God, join the Brazilians. <laughs> Wouldn't that make more sense? Join the Brazilians. That would be, that would be much, much smarter. Have one currency with Brazil.
0: A few moments ago, you called out the Greek people for not coming out and protesting this continued yeah. austerity. My sense being in Greece for the past year is that uh, there's a general sentiment that there's a sort of fatigue that has set in, that people came out in 2010 and 11 and even in 2012, and uh, they did take to the street, and they were tear-gassed, and they were arrested, and they were beat up, and nothing really changed. The same parties are still in government. What would your response be to this sort of thinking?
1: Well, one of the the things you need is you need a voice for the people. See, one of the problems that the Greeks face, I'm very, very sympathetic, when I say people, Greeks are cowards, I'm trying to like, I'm making fun of it. I'm trying to like push people to keep, to to not give up yet, don't just throw up your hand, okay, look across to Turkey, where they think people are, are acting out, people are acting out in New York, don't give up yet. And not, you know, obviously the the violence at the banks was a very bad idea that put uh, the progressives on the back foot. But I think that people shouldn't give up. But you don't have a voice because you had Pasok and you had Samaras. Uh, you have the, the ruling two parties are basically indistinguishable. There's almost no difference between them. And they're not... Defending the public against these so called austerity moves, which are punishment, punishing people to pay banks and pay Germans. There's no one standing up against, uh, against the euro. You had one independent party which completely caved in, as you know, they, they lost their guts. You do need that third voice. And in Brazil, the Workers' Party under Lula, and I, you know, Lula asked to meet with me, and I wouldn't meet with him because I said, oh, this guy will never be president. Boy, am I wrong. And I've learned something from that. The third parties which say no to the IMF and the World Bank, that say no to these big agencies, no to austerity, they have been successful. They were successful in Brazil, in Argentina, in Peru, in Bolivia, in Venezuela, in Nicaragua, in all these economies now. When these third parties, which are considered very, very marginal, spoke up and people joined them, and they took over, those economies are really doing exceptionally well, exceptionally well. And so I think people should not be afraid to say, we need a voice. And I'm just sorry, and, and at some point some politician is going to say, that's a good idea. You had a third party in Greece, but they lost their guts, they lost their principles, and that's a shame. You know, they were told, oh my God, if you don't give in to the austerity and nonsense, we'll be thrown out of the euro. That's like being thrown out of a leper colony. You don't want to be in the euro, take my word for it. I knew Bob Mandel, the guy that invented the Euro, got the Nobel Prize for it. The Euro is not about uh, having a happy trade zone. It's about imposing an elimination of of the progressive state. And so you want, if you don't get out of the Euro, you're doomed. You've signed your own death warrant. Then you're part of the, the, it's really, the Euro is the Fourth Reich and it's absolutely dangerous and absolutely poisonous, and, and you have to give it up. And it's not a dark, terrible thing, but you need a party that will do it. And I understand why people are fatigued and tired, because there's no political party standing up for just rational action, reason, and discourse. I, you know, I'm an economist. I'm not, a, I'm not Che Guevara. I'm not a revolutionary. I, I just, you know, when I see economic madness, and I'm talking about me and Joe Stiglitz and Paul Krugman... And the rest of us who really are trying to use our brains in the world of economics, they, why are the Greek people agreeing to their own destruction? It's crazy. And I know that people are tired and exhausted and, and some people are literally hungry and lost their jobs and feel helpless and hopeless. But this is when you have to act. You cannot give up now.
0: Now, in closing, do you have a final message that, you'd like to share with uh, the Greek people or Greek listeners who are tuned in today?
1: I would like the people, people in Greece to contact me, and you can do so in English or Greek, we'll translate it, at Greg Palace. Go to gregpallas.com, G-R-E-G-P-A-L-A-S-T. My book, Vulture's Picnic, which includes the destruction of Greece, will be out in Greece, and I hope September, and in Greek, And I would like people to contact me and give me their stories and tell me, give me your ideas, your stories, your information. And when I come to Greece, I want to meet you and speak to you. I need to learn what people are thinking and what's going on. And I want to know why people are not resisting basically the German-European takeover of your economy. It's tragic. It's sad, and I would like to get the ideas of the people of Greece uh, before I come there and release my book.
0: So we can expect to also see you in Greece sometime soon?
1: In, I would My plan is to be in Greece in September when my book is released, and I would like to really speak with people about what, you, what the people of Greece think are the solutions and the problems, and let's work this out together, and I will bring the best minds in the field of economics to your side and we can bring this and we can basically discuss how movements are formed. I've seen successful movements formed around the world by people who thought their situation was hopeless. I was in Brazil when people were starving and now Brazil rules the Western Hemisphere. And I think that that there's a lot to learn from Brazil and Argentina. And to learn from from the, their experience, and I'm going to bring that to Greece. But I don't want to go arrogant. I don't want to have arrogance about what I know about Greece. I want people to tell me and educate me. So please go to gregpallas.com, Give me your thoughts or Greg Pallist on Facebook. Give me your thoughts and tell them, talk to me in Greek, and I'll have it translated. Or talk to me in English either way.
0: Greg, we'll look forward to seeing you when you do come to Greece, uh, hopefully very soon. And we thank you for taking the time to speak with us today on The Alagos Radio and to share with us your thoughts.
1: Thank you so much for this opportunity.